and it's harder being the the visitor than the patient because the patient you're you're dealing with it you're either dealing with the pain you're taking the drugs or you're you're there but a person visiting feels helpless you really can't do anything you don't have the knowledge to be able to help you know the medical knowledge or anything and you're just there yeah quite helpless hello i'm dave i'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together i need to get better please make me better i want to get better 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 acquainted with you today we're getting better acquainted with tamsin hello tamsin hi dave it's been years actually almost nine years yeah something like that the first question that i ask people is how do you know me right well i joined lancaster uni in our second year but I think we got to know each other better when we did your play. Yes, that's right. Which we took on, I think, because we wanted a, can I use the word, normal play? And as in, follow your script. But uh, I think it then got changed into a dance piece. Yeah, that's kind of what quite... happened. <laughs> it kind of became contemporary experimental theatre, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, not sure how that happened. Or maybe our tutor had another thing in mind. It was a funny one. I mean, I don't know if I call my play normal well, you know, <laughs> but, it, but it was a intense, script was a and it was and it script. was you know a, a story and it was characters yeah. um <laughs> the, the final version of the play probably had characters hmm. but it kind of lost a lot of the plot and the yeah anyway yeah <laughs> i mean that was but that was a weird one as well because as part of the research for that play as as dictated to us by our tutor as suggested Yes. by our tutor yes. I didn't this wasn't my idea this is not how I direct plays <laughs> no. we had to do these kind of endurance mm. experiences didn't mm. we where people had to stay up for 24 hours and people yeah. had to go without food for or whatever yeah. what, what was your one I, I had to dress up and walk around walk around Lancaster which is probably better than walking around Bristol or something or, or Lancaster or, or you know big city I think that was pretty much just experience being in totally different clothes especially like just turning up to uni where I was very happy in just the most comfortable clothes possible to just you know do drama in yeah and suddenly to be in high heels all the time yeah and the short skirt and and yeah yeah, no, I remember that now. That was slightly strange. It's memorable. I mean, and but, it's a very cold time in Lancaster. It was very, I think it was winter. Yeah. You? Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, I think it wasn't. It, it was supposed to be sort of like the characters' sort of inner selves or something or something. It's like you know, it. I don't, I can't remember. No really. vague memories. I think. I, I didn't have to do. Away. I had to. I didn't have to do any of the activities. You had to video I me, was though. videoing. Yeah, I was walking around <laughs> videoing you and recording people. I mean. Me and uh, and Karen, who, who directed it. Yeah. But, yeah, that was a, an interesting way of getting to know <laughs> someone, I guess. Yes. The very strange, the things that you have to do in, in a, a theatre studies degree. <laughs> yes, particularly <laughs> a more contemporary theatre studies degree. But anyway. Yeah, yes. did you expect Lancaster to be um, like it was? Maybe not to the extent that it... No, probably not. I no. mean, my thoughts were possibly to go down the route of drama therapy and things. That's why I was interested in pursuing just the theatre side because I'd started uni in Sussex and I did European drama with French. Right. Then I went to France and things and thought, actually, I'm actually fluent in French and I love just 
being in France, working in France, so I don't want to study it to become a translator or something, yeah. you know. So I thought, I'll just do the drama. So um, that was kind of why I thought, well, try and, you know, go to a different uni and see what it's like, but it was still more of a surprise. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the kind of drama that you learned at Lancaster was more like you needed therapy after you did the drama yeah. <laughs> rather than uh, you could use it in drama therapy. It would be a strange approach to mm. to, to do therapy with people by uh, making them dress up uh, in yeah. inappropriate clothes and walk through the streets of Lancaster exactly. in the cold. Exactly, yeah. yeah, quite different to that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other question that I ask people yeah. is what do you do now? I am a speech and language therapist. Which what is that? Okay <laughs> right <laughs> it's true because I studied speech and language therapy they say why you know what to become well a speech and language therapist but it's just <laughs> we're not known enough and maybe we need to shout more about our job because it's hugely important. I personally work in paediatrics so I have a community clinic so I have children and their carers coming to see me and I assess them and decide whether they need a block of therapy or actually they can just have some advice and if especially if they're really young like two and a half or something then they can just take away some of this advice and hopefully that'll be enough just to get them back on track. Mm -hmm. And I also work in children's centres which is a bit like the old sure start so, um, uh, yeah, I know what yeah. is are, but and maybe some of my listeners will, but uh, the, yeah, some of them won't. So okay, that's fine. That's um, I work in children's centres. Okay, yeah, it's it's a bit more than a well, it is. It's definitely more than a nursery. They run courses for carers. They run courses for childminders. They have um, people come in from the library to do stories and songs. With the exactly, children. which we do have a fantastic lady who comes in to do songs and reads books and things. Oh, cool. Um, my role there is it's definitely more preventative, and I am helping to train the earliest practitioners to then help the children. So I'm, I don't have children on my caseload in the children's centres. I work around the different children's centres in the north of Bristol to deliver training and things. So yeah, so I really enjoy that side of things as well because you know that you're actually going to touch an awful lot more people, more children, and also help the practitioners, help even more children. Yeah. Um, I've recently been training. on speech and language therapy training. Okay. Yeah. And I'm working with a speech and language therapist in uh, one of my sessions in a week. So Yeah. yeah. So I'm getting a little bit of an idea of it, but uh, what do you do? What do you do with them? It's it's about targeted children who mm. are in at most need, yeah. and getting them in to the centre, and then doing a program that is designed to encourage the parents and the children to do things that enable language development yeah. better. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like I'm, now I'm speaking to somebody who knows what like, yeah. like this stuff. I don't. Really. You're holding back. Yeah. Well, um, I, and also, I, I don't really. Yeah. I don't want to mention the actual programme, I think. No, that's fair enough. We do parent-child interaction, which is exactly as you say, you're helping the parent, or there's also the adult-child interaction courses where they'll be training the practitioners. They have very similar sort of strategies of really helping enhance the children's communication. Sort of, you need to really identify where that child's at already. So they might be at a communication stage, so they're communicating with you, but they're not able to use words yet mm-hmm. so then you need to be able to help them along with their gestures you know their non-verbal communication is hugely important as well I mean, you need to do a lot of strategies where you're literally sitting down as close as you can to their level face to face yeah try, um, go, coming down to your child level yeah, exactly. is the first thing we te- yeah. like teach in the course yeah. yeah 
and following the child's lead. Yep. So whatever the game that they have chosen, it's that's what they're interested in. They're going to love the fact that you're interested in what they're doing. You could be copying what they're doing. You could be commenting and so giving them the language mm-hmm. that they would use if they could. And also you're interpreting any kind of gesture that they're making to you as if they were speaking. So you just give them one to two word phrases to, as if they could speak. Yeah. Which is lovely because then they're far more likely to copy what you're saying rather than testing, which parents can't help but do. And in this kind of... I find it really hard not yeah, to Yeah, you're just asking questions. Like, oh, what's that? What colour is that? What are you doing now? Yeah. And the child's probably thinking, well, you know what I'm doing because you're seeing what I'm doing. <laughs> That's not of interest to them. They would rather just play and love the fact that you're playing with them. And uh, there are still a lot of carers and all walks of life, parents and carers, who just need some more help with how to play with children and how to enhance their language. And say they just said car, and that's they only use like seven words in their vocabulary. And then you would say, oh, well, yeah, it's a red car or it's a fast car. So you're just adding one or two words onto that, and that'll just help that child go, oh, that's that makes it even more exciting about what I want to communicate. So yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah, I get excited. Yeah, well, um, absolutely. I mean, what 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 made you interested in being a speech and language therapist? Where did that come well, from? Well, um, I'm sure we'll plot back at some point where <laughs> what I've done since um, yeah, leaving yeah. Lancaster. But I was a teaching assistant with children with special needs in a mainstream school. Okay. But they were on the register of a special needs school. We just happened to have an inclusion class in a mainstream secondary. So it's years 7 to 11 in the same room, which is quite intense. I'd already done a year's um, part-time counselling course with certificate in counselling skills, and I really enjoyed that, and I was able to apply that to working with the teenagers. But I just always felt there was a little bit more I wanted to give, and I thought there was something more. And there were two children in particular who had speech and language problems. I was asked to carry out some programmes, and they were actually really boring and I thought there must be more because I've worked with teenagers for years I know what will grab them and get their attention and this isn't it and they just didn't look forward to doing their exercises or even having the speech and language therapist who is retired now (laughs) to to come in so I thought oh I really like this and then I just was looking one day in the newspaper and I saw a job saying speech and language therapy assistant which is really rare I found out afterwards that comes up these jobs just don't come up people Mm. get hold of them because they want to be a speech therapist or they just love the jobs they don't want to leave so I got this job as an assistant and it was a fixed time contract for nine months and then I applied to do speech and language therapy but it was a brilliant way of really knowing that that was what I wanted to do so my second degree I thought oh it's got to be vocational and yes I love it I've been there as an assistant now I want to study it and because it's four years you have to be totally committed and yeah. it's a very tough course. Well when you came to Lancaster you were thinking about drama therapy then as well so you've mm. always been interested in in uh, doing uh, work that is help helping people would you yeah. say? Yeah right? helping people and also treating people as individuals and and thinking about them holistically because the fact that I was at Sussex Uni I had to leave in my end of my first year or beginning of my second year because I'd got I've been diagnosed with a brain tumour mm-hmm. it was benign but it had to be operated on and and I couldn't then not to be dramatic but I had to kind of walk again and and do things because it had totally affected my movement and mm. you know they had to operate it was a major operation so being in hospital for three weeks was just just thought, wow, there's got to be a different way, there's got to be a better way to treat people 
who are in an awful lot of pain. I mean, I was the youngest in the ward. I think the next person older than me was probably 50 or something, and then right. there were really old people in the ward. And so you would have been, what, 19? I was just 20. Okay. So it was not a good experience. So, yeah, I took from that, wow, I really want to see how I can, yeah, work with people, but treating them, just treating them with a... I was treated with respect, but, you know, just just to help maintain dignity and, and help encourage independence as much as they can. But I, and I think also, um, I guess, you know, my dad was a social worker, mum was a teacher, it's kind of in my blood, I think. Yeah. Although I thought about social work, thought about teaching from being a teaching assistant, that's why I just yeah. became a teaching assistant to try that and thought, no, I definitely don't want to be a teacher. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy just helping people, but helping them do it themselves. Right. Which okay. I think is uh, hugely important because yeah. there's no point them relying on me, say, as, as a speech therapist or whatever role I'm doing, and then if I'm not there, then they can't carry on because it's got to be, it's got to empower people yeah. to actually being able to be themselves again because I felt like I kind of lost myself after, from being in hospital the first time and just see what they can do themselves and, and I worked for Connections when I first left Lancaster Okay. and so working the, uh, that's employment. it was kind of an, an offshoot of that it was young people 16 to 19 uh, okay. and they were the neat, they still use the words neat not in education or something else oh no I can't remember the initials now anyway it's basically yeah they, <laughs> they've left school probably way before GCSEs right. you're trying to get them on training courses or back into education or right. getting a job so okay. again I really wanted to just help them because they'd seen the light most of them that oh I should have worked at school but then how, how what on earth are we going to do now yeah, okay. helping them become more independent and find find themselves really who they wanted to be and who they want to be and I that gives me a buzz to when people really find what they want to do yeah it seems that all of the things that you've done are sort of stacked up quite Mm. nicely on top of each other so so after you left uni you worked in connections yeah but then you became a teaching assistant yeah I mean it was a nine-month contract and then um government maybe shifted money somewhere else let's say happens in youth work I was unemployed for a couple of months which wasn't very nice and then um yeah I got the teaching assistant job and I was there for maybe 18 months before I got the speech language therapy assistant job yeah you did youth work in France was that before uni then or after uni? yeah well after my A-levels, I went for six months to Blois, which is not far from Paris, and that was uh, with the European Voluntary Scheme. And so, basically, and I have a feeling it still is carrying on today. They pay for your accommodation and things, and you work you work in a project. Mm. And my project was working in a youth centre, so a very deprived area. And, yeah, there I was a youth, a youth worker for preschool children and um, school-aged children and sometimes work with the teenagers and then but I also managed to do the project again with the European Voluntary Scheme so that was after I was ill from having a brain tumour it was my time to just get myself back to me being me yeah. and so I was there for nine months in Paris again in a really really deprived area at the youth centre that I worked in children for about I don't know something like 40 countries and I think two of them were French, which was absolutely fascinating. I loved it. And I was there as the English cheater. But um, we quite often just turned it into a, more of a social thing, more of talking about just exploring each other's cultures. And they actually started getting to know 
where they all came from because as teenagers they weren't really going to discuss that they came from these different countries and where their families came from so we did a brilliant project just to kind of get to know each other really and I loved it, really really interesting It's interesting that that recovering from your your brain tumour you wanted to uh, get to know yourself again so you went to a different country (laughs) and uh, worked with with children with lots of needs you know, that's interesting but that probably is yourself. I mean, that does sound Yeah, like I think so. When I was getting better, uh, I went to stay with one of my best friends um, from Sixth Form College. In, and she was living in France. And uh, they needed a volunteer for a week to go into the Auvergne, so the volcanic um, region. And then, um, yeah, to be there for primary school and to be a sort of mentor, kind of, you know, helper. And um, I was climbing up these volcanoes and I thought with all these children kind of lagging behind and things, and I thought, wow, yes, now I've... So physically, I thought, I'm, I've arrived now, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'd been in a wheelchair for a short time, I hadn't been able to walk properly, I'd all these things. I'd been constantly sick, physically sick, you know, yeah. from sort of three months after being ill. And, but there I was, and I'd just stopped being sick. I think I'd, I'd, at that point I thought, right, I want to stop now. Uh, that's enough I've had enough of being sick and I did I just stopped being sick because it'd been a kind of triggered from the tumour was where you get seasickness so it really affected my balance and things okay yeah so I just yeah I was climbing up this mountain I thought a volcano and I thought yes this is I'm alright now this is good and I'm loving the fact that I'm in France and helping all these kids and speaking French all the time yeah from then I thought right what am I going to do next then I don't want to go back straight to uni because I didn't want to get into the well, back into academia straight away. I thought, no, I want to just explore things. I want to spend more time in France, and yeah, yeah and so I got this project. So. Well, that's. I mean, that's. I mean, that's great. And then, and then you came to Lancaster. Then I met you. Then you did all the other things afterwards, which we've discussed. Yeah. So one one of the things that oh, I, I guess you you got married as well. Got married. <laughs> in, yes, very important. I got <laughs> I got married to Phil in my second year of uni. That's the second uni. Second year, second year of second my year second, second uni. Uni. <laughs> I'd met Phil in my the end of my third year, my first degree, so we've been together nine years. Yeah, so we got married in the second year, and I just thought, and then, yeah, at the time I thought, well, this is a four-year degree, it's a really tough course, but actually my life is more important. I want to, you know, make sure that academia and everything doesn't take over completely. I want to live my life, so we thought, right, we're going to get married anyway. And, um, yeah, we did, and nice. it was a, a brilliant... Family, friends, real sort of... I don't know, it was really fantastic because my mum made my wedding dress, my sister-in-law made my cake, and uh, my parents grew the flowers and then picked some stuff from the countryside to add to the bouquets and the things around in a lovely little memorial hall where we had the party. Friend was a photographer and friend was a DJ, and it was just fantastic. It was just a big party full of... Wonderful people, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. So are you from the countryside originally? Yes. Oh, yeah, I grew up in the countryside. Well, I was born in Kent, in Canterbury, okay. or near Canterbury. Again, very much in the sticks. And then we moved to Somerset when I was about eight or nine. Oh, and Somerset. And then it's Somerset, and in the countryside again. So, yeah, that's that's kind of, that's where I'm happiest, going for a walk in the woods or on mm. a hill somewhere. I like, yeah, yeah I like... Cornwall a lot, yeah. And we and love like Cornwall that, too. That <laughs> area I spent, I went a lot of uh, childhood holidays down, yeah. down to the West Country, so yeah. I, I, I like Cornwall and Devon a lot, and I, yeah. I, I've not really, yeah, not really been to Somerset. 
but I like the accent. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't pick that up, unfortunately. I was no. quite glad to lose my Kent. I think I have lost my Kent accent, but I didn't pick up a Somerset one. But I think a lot of people from, well, kind of where I was, came from different areas as well. So. And now, I mean, now we're in Bristol, aren't we? Yeah. And, 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 that, and we're recording this in your in your flat in Bristol. Yeah. Uh, and the sun's come out all yes. of a sudden over the park. Over the park, looking beautiful. Which is which is outside. And so you're in the West Country still. I mean, uh, that's one of the things when I when I was on the train, you know, when we got to uh, maybe it was Bath or somewhere somewhere in between yeah. Bristol and London. Yeah. You know, someone got on with a West Country accent, and I was like, ah, in yeah, the West Country, in the West Country, and uh, yeah. I, it's a, it's a it's a, a lovely it's it's just such a nice accent. Yeah. But you you haven't got a, a West Country accent. No. You're living in the West Country. But yeah. then that's quite common in Bristol, isn't it? I think. Yeah, and in Bristol <laughs> there are maybe I don't know. I'd, I'd probably get it wrong if I'd say at least quite four distinct accents. You know, depending on where you are. I mean, there are certain areas of Bristol where people have never left, so those accents have stayed as they were. Mm. But there are an awful lot of people from well around the world as well. So. Yeah, and when much. you're when you're doing speech and language therapy, yeah. like accent wise, yeah, is that like I mean, because one of the things I think about, like I think I, I definitely think speech and language therapy is really important for uh, children who need it for sure. Yeah. There is a lot to be learned from it, and obviously I I deliver it to a certain <laughs> extent. But one of the things I always, I sometimes think about it is: are we ironing out regional? variation or whatever I mean I know they're very young the children we're talking about so that's not that's not so much an issue but as you get older you know when you're when you're taking you know I don't know I don't know what do you think about that I totally (laughs) I disagree I do I do do. yeah we we can be I think in the past people thought oh they must be sort of elocution teachers or Mm -hmm. something not at all and you know part of my course we were always reminded make sure that you know your accents where you're working really well because quite often it'll just be because of the accent you know mm. the certain sounds that they we think they're making errors with but they're not at all because everyone else is using the same sounds so we're not going to try and smooth them out because that's just who they are and that's that's where they come from and it's yeah I mean <laughs> well, what about grammar though and, and, and the way um, that people structure sentences I think hmm We'd kind of work back in a different way in that, in that there are children with language difficulties, hence why we're speech and yeah. language therapists, yeah, yeah. who say they can't, they're not, not able to compose a question, they can't formulate a question, right. so they, can't, they haven't got the words, the word order, the right vocabulary, mm-hmm. they wouldn't know whether it's a who or what or where. And we just, we're giving them the strategies to help build up their sentences so they're able to communicate. Yeah. So that the emphasis is much more on communication if it's stopping them communicate because, say, their grammar is not as it could be, well, then we would help with that. But it, we're certainly, if it's a, more of a dialect thing or, you know, of a way of saying things, then we totally leave it. You yeah, know, I mean, it, it, I guess then they can communicate, can't yeah, they, with the, yeah. with the people who are around them. The first ex- sort of experience, serious experience of uh, hospital that you had mm. was when you, when you had your brain tumor. Mm. Um, but in recent years, you've sort of had more uh, experiences in that yeah. kind of area. Um, yeah. <laughs> when did you When did you get diagnosed with cancer? I got diagnosed on the. Uh, I kind of remember the date very clearly. Not just I think it could have been whenever it happened in the year. Um, you'd remember that date because it's such a 
you've been diagnosed with cancer. But mine just happened to be the 23rd of December, just before Christmas, 2009. Wasn't really worried about the fact Christmas was coming. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. no, but I mean, that was the first, in, uh, you know, people were like, oh no, oh, I'm sorry, you know, it's by Christmas. It's like, really? <laughs> Yeah, so that's there's, not there's other things that are, there are more pertinent than this yeah, in that moment. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, a massive shock. Um, it was exactly ten years since I had a brain tumor. So you know, at twenty, God. I've got a diagnosis of a brain tumor, and thirty um, with breast cancer. So that was a because the brain tumor was November '99, and I told everyone, "Wow, brilliant! You know, I don't need any more MRI scans anymore. I'm free. You know, I don't need any more checkups in the hospital." And yeah, that, that kind of a month or two later, then I got this diagnosis. So, and it and it was a shock, and the and consultants were very surprised as well. But yeah, that's just luckily. I'm very, very lucky that it got caught very early mm-hmm. um, by my husband, who found the lump. So, um, there you go. Yes, it's very, very important that it's not just the, the lady who checks herself. You know, obviously he wasn't checking anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe move on. And men can get it as well. So, um, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I um, but yeah, so um, <laughs> it got found, and uh, yeah, the I thought, well, okay, it, when I found the lump, uh, yes, it could be. It could be this awful, awful. Can't no, can't possibly be. But I'm going to go to the doctor anyway. See, that's really good though. I think yes. isn't it the thing that people often do is they go, it could be, and then they don't. Go. Then they they're scared to go yes. and they don't go, and then yes. it gets too yeah too bad. Yeah, yeah. I'd actually heard of um, when I was telling my um, friends that you know I'd stopped my MRI scans and things for having a brain tumor. A friend said, oh. I hadn't told you this before, but my sister at 25 had breast cancer, and that was like, <gasps> and so I, mean, I think it's some maybe subconsciously in the back of my mind was, well, someone at 25 had it, so this is real, this could be real, yeah. I need to check this out. And from having been ill in the past, you think, well, come on, you know, it's important, you need to face things, you need to do stuff. So, um, yeah, I went to the doctor the next day and got a, an appointment two weeks later. I will say, at the, when I was at the doctor's, she didn't take me that seriously and when she said um when I said well you know it had a brain tumor and she went, oh oh okay and I said oh, my maternal grandmother actually died of breast cancer she went oh she used the words we'll t- I'll, I'll take it seriously then and I thought wow yeah. you're actually admitting this that you're not you taking know? it seriously yeah. yeah so that was a bit of a surprise but um I would always say get a second opinion <laughs> if that happens to you because it's Two weeks later, I had an appointment at the hospital, which is brilliant that there's, I think, and I hope it's still now, that you get an appointment. They try and do it two weeks from going to your GP. Right. Yeah, and I just thought, well, I'll have the core biopsy at the time. I might as well, I'm here. And um, I'm very glad I did then. So I had the core biopsy. So what's a core biopsy? So it, well, it's just, it's a more... It'll take some samples of tissue and things to check whether so it's it like could a, be cancer. Is it like an inject? Very like big injection. Big needle yeah, that sucks think stuff about out, that, right? Listeners. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> mm. so uh, yeah, that, that got sent That must have been off. scary. Yeah, but I just thought, well, at the time, it wasn't. This you need to, to know the information is, more than anything. And else. also, it was for me. Well, it's to say I haven't got cancer. Yeah. So that I want to know. Yeah, of course. So that got sent off and then I got 
yeah, called in again, and you know, two weeks later, and that's when I got the diagnosis because yeah, as I said, the consultant wasn't expecting it. Were you expecting it? No, not at all. Because it's bad luck, isn't it? You've already yeah. had one thing. Yeah, you know, I did, mean, did you feel like why me again? Uh, I mean, you must have done at some well, point. Well, I mean, the first time when I had a brain tumour it was benign it was a paediatric what they call a paediatric brain tumour so I should have actually had the symptoms as a child so I should never have got to 20 and then had the symptoms right because it wasn't cancerous I hadn't sort of ever sort of gone down the route I knew it was very dangerous to have had a brain tumour yeah. because of positioning and everything so they needed to remove it, it because it could have been a problem it could have been a problem very very serious yeah but it wouldn't have hurt you um, in theory if it well it wouldn't have spread on. Right. As in the can- it wouldn't okay. be cancerous to spread. It was that had to be removed because it was stopping the drainage, and that was dangerous in that sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when when Harold Pinter got cancer, I think he, he he there was a a phrase that I think one of the nurses used that he quoted in a poem um, that was cancer cancerous cells that have forgotten how to die. And that's the, is that that's pretty much how it works. They just they they keep spreading. They keep spreading. And yeah, they, they I, keep spreading. I, I wished I knew more about it, but then in other ways I don't want to know more about. It. I'm not sure. You didn't do very much research then around no. cancer when you got it. No, no, no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it was just. I mean, I, I yeah. I remember thinking, what the, you know, yeah. what on earth is happening? What is this real? Yeah. Not. I didn't, and I really didn't think why me I just thought how is this happening you know I'm well I'm a very fit person how on earth can I can this have happened but it did and uh, it was a grade one tumour there were different stages it was a beginning stage and by the time they'd removed it a month later it would be grade two but again very lucky that it was caught early mm-hmm. and so yeah a month later I had the operation and I was like, very lucky again to have a lumpectomy rather than a mastectomy yeah. because they were able to catch it early and had lymph nodes under my arm removed and they hadn't spread to my lymph nodes and that's when you've got to worry if it's spread to the lymph nodes because then it's more likely to get into the body and, and spread right so again very very lucky that was the case um, and then had radiotherapy for 20 sessions and uh, I'm put on drug treatment. So did you lose your hair and stuff like that? No, because I'd combined the radiotherapy with two sets of different drugs, they said, you can have chemo, but it'll only increase your chances a tiny bit. You know, it wouldn't... You'd be okay, basically. You'd they didn't sub- want to say it, but you'd, you'd be, be all right. If you'd be you subjecting did. yourself to radiation for no real. Well, yeah, it wouldn't. Yeah, it wouldn't get a huge yeah. extra benefit. You have to sort of do a cost benefit. Yeah, exactly, and um, and especially because you know I still want kids and things. I thought, well, okay, let's go down this other route. Yeah. Um, so that's what I did. Yeah, and um, then was trying to finish my degree with all that going on. It, it was my fourth year. You did, you but know. I did yeah. <laughs> because there was no way I was going to let that stop me. Because yeah, um, I was ill. Yeah, I was ill. I needed to get better, but it was a four-year course. So I wasn't going back again. <laughs> I wanted to finish it, so I um, I got an extension, and uh, I finished in the September rather than the May. Right. Yeah. And I mean, having had uh, cancer. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that that's made you sort of? I, I mean, I I know that you you sort of you inform people about cancer a little bit. Like I, the other day on Facebook, you you posted something. Yeah. And uh, you, you know, you, have you you've done have you done sort of 
things related to cancer sort of charities mm-hmm. and things like that? Yeah, Breast Cancer Care are an amazing charity. They provide all sorts of information for women of all ages who've been affected by breast cancer and also their families. I went on the Young Women's Forum, which is, but it was a two-day forum, as in in a, in a hotel where we had lots of speakers come along, and it was in Bristol, and it was all completely paid for. Got to talk to fertility experts, all sorts of people... Laughter yoga we tried, which was brilliant. And that was all for young women under 45. Um, well, that's quite, that's, very, that's very a nice uh, amount of young. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm a young man now still. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very intense though, because we all had very similar issues and we hadn't come across other women. Yeah. So I hadn't actually come across any women who'd had breast cancer. And so... That was that was very emotional, but also very good to talk to other women. And then I went on to do a sponsored walk run to raise money for breast cancer care because right. it's brilliant. Yeah, because I think it's really important. And the fact that they will provide so much and it's all free because you're certainly not in the position to be able to pay for things yourself at that point because you've either stopped your job or your studies or whatever else. So mm. yeah, it's an amazing charity. Yeah. Well, that's really yeah, that's really a valuable charity, I guess. Yeah. Like, I'll admit now, mm. I don't check myself no. for like testicular no. can- no. cancer. I didn't check myself. And no. like, I, 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 people are always telling me to, and I always I listen know. to them and I go, know. "Yeah, that yeah. sounds yeah. really intelligently yeah. right. I should yeah. totally do that." But mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, even if I did check myself, I wouldn't know what to look for. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like, whereas, like, you now know, mm. like, and you now can tell people. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 surprising. Um, it's it's very lucky mm. that you that you guys discovered it <laughs> yeah. uh, when you did. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, what do you? How do you think you get people to check when they um, don't check? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did post that thing on Facebook. It was from Breast Cancer Care, and it was so kind of. Well, it was just there. It was a very simple diagram yeah, of different different diagrams of, of different things can go wrong, and. Um, yeah, I think if I'd had that, at least, you know, it's there and you can have a quick look. But I think just people who've had it, gone through it, if they feel okay about doing it, just to tell people because, yeah, you can be hush-hush and you don't... Why should it be hush-hush? You need to just go, well, it happened, you know. I also used Penny Braun Cancer Centre, which is up in um, Pill in Bristol. Amazing place. And they're there to help people. Yeah, it's just a... Uh, be aware that it can happen. Yeah. And um, things can be done, so don't put it off. I've known of people who did put it off, and so the cancer spread further, so please don't, you know, just yeah. get a second opinion. It's so much better just to go to the doctors and go, oh, it's fine. I You're fine, you've got lumpy the, breasts. That's you know? the key thing, isn't yeah. it? Like, I, maybe it's really hard to ever really encourage people to, to remember to check and all these yeah. sorts of things, especially because which I just think... As a society, just generally, yeah. we're not very in our bodies. We're yeah. not really very aware. Like I think, you know, I'm always on the internet. I'm always, yeah. you know, I'm not thinking about my actual physical yeah, appearance very much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is, you know, good. I mean, I don't even like looking in mirrors. But, um, uh, but yeah, once you notice something, that's mm. the moment where yeah. you definitely straight away. Yeah, you, yeah. you need to check it out because yeah. we can now. Yeah, and uh, doctors you know, can. You could just be a two-minute appointment, but it really. 
just do it you know if there's if you have any doubts and I have had friends who've said afterwards oh yeah well I I went to the doctors and they just told me I had lumpy breasts but that's fine because they're told that they're fine and they everybody wants to find that out yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) I I maybe found my lump easier because I don't have lumpy breasts but um we've all all different obviously (laughs) a bit strange oh goodness should have turned that onto aeroplane mode I should have put mine, but hopefully it won't go off. Uh, well, there you go. I've, I've, and, and I have it. I always have it on because I need the notes. But <laughs> I just turn it onto airplane mode. Breast cancer's tricky yeah. because, like, I think some people feel inhibited because it's breasts. Mm. Because it's like they have to go and get the doctor to 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 kind of do a relatively like it's not particularly uh, invasive but mm. it, it's an area of their body that they don't necessarily feel comfortable yeah engaging with yeah. Uh, outside the bedroom or whatever yeah i can understand why some women yeah might find it really hard but i guess yeah that certainly wasn't on my mind it was just no, can you well, just tell me everything's all right please exactly um yeah but then also is is i mean in a way like breast cancer is also one of the most known about mm. cancers, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. it's the one that everybody everybody knows about. And like you it's, kind of, yeah, it's all, you've with, seen all you know. It's yeah. been on EastEnders, yeah. uh, you know, Peggy Race Mitchell and all that, and, and yeah, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And, and 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 actually, it's it is quite. And also, I think intelligently, mm. but uh, because it gets them a lot of promotion mm. breast cancer charities often use the breast thing to yeah. their advantage yeah, you know definitely. uh and yeah. so it because of that yeah. <laughs> it gets a lot more press than a lot of than a lot of other cancers mm. i guess mm. when i said i was going to be talking to someone about breast cancer to my sister's boyfriend mm. my older sister's boyfriend yeah. whose uh, wife died of cancer right. I th- I think it was cancer. Yeah. Um, he said, like, that's the one that gets all the press, and mm. actually, it's it's nearly always uh, like opera, operable, and mm. uh, people recover from it generally. And, right. and and he's kind of like, there are other there are other cancers that he kind of I think feels need more need more of the press. Mm. I was surprised because I hadn't thought of that before. Right. I was yeah. just you know I was just casually just saying, oh, you know, going to yeah. talk to somebody yeah. about press. Yeah. <laughs> So and uh, I mean obviously he should come on the show and uh, he can give his opinion on this yeah. better himself. Yeah. So he should yeah. come on the show. Yeah. I'm saying that like looking at the microphone, but I don't think he's. <laughs> this go- is the but, show. But he's not going to be looking. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be ever listening yeah, to this. So he's never, I'm like trying to talk to him through the mic, <laughs> yeah. but he's, I don't think he's ever going to be listening to the, oh, to the well. show. But never mind. Yeah. Did, you were saying to me as well before we started mm. that it was quite an intense year for you that year because of. Can- another cancer situation yeah really oh <laughs> yeah that I was mean, a very euphemistic way of don't saying don't it right. no. um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was right at the end it was the end of my third year yeah uh phil my husband's dad got diagnosed with cancer mesothelioma which is asbestos related right. so um absolutely horrible to think that your job can cause well yeah a tragic end kind of thing and he only had one year after he retired before he passed away it's absolutely awful and it's something that kind of stays in your body for 40 years mm. um, 
and then will only come out but by then it's very very hard to catch the symptoms and do something about it so right. absolutely horrid and very quick uh, yeah and that was horrid horrid time and then yeah like I was saying earlier three months later I was diagnosed with cancer which I guess again that kind of put things in perspective going yeah. right let's just deal with it get rid of it you know sort it out because oh you know comparison you know thinking about my father-in-law yeah well it, it must have been quite an, I mean obviously it was an intense mm. time for your uh, for your husband but it must have been very even more loaded that then you know his, his father dies of cancer then his then his wife gets yeah. cancer yeah absolutely horrible to try and yeah to you're still grieving, you're still getting over such a horrible shock because, you know, it happened so quickly. And then, yeah, then your wife gets diagnosed, so for a little while he really had to, you know, yeah. get his head around it all. Yeah, hmm. I bet. I mean, it, oh. I mean, do you... Oh, this is a strange question, maybe, mm. but it's what I'm going to ask. Uh, do, do you, did you personify your cancer? Do you know what I mean? Do you, do you have, I mean, do you have a feeling about like towards it like uh, as in well I don't know it 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 seems to me that it's like it's an outside thing that's a well I mean that I guess it isn't you, yeah, it, kind of thing. you know yeah, yeah how did you feel like how did you feel about that 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 um, thing trying to get take your you know it's the yeah. same like it's the same with your tumour do you yeah, know what I mean like yeah, how did yeah. you how do you feel about these kind of things that are not you that are affecting you from your body. Mm, yeah, I know. What, yeah, I think I know where you're coming from. Yeah. Um. It it took a long time for me to be able to say I've got cancer. Um, because, yeah. That's not just not facing it, but just you know, just by actually saying those words, words. I've got cancer. Yeah. Um, and then. I just got used to saying it and then I had my operation and then from then on I did not say I have cancer because in my mind then it was definitely I have not got cancer I had cancer it's gone you know so yeah. that was it it was so I don't think there was a long period of time really for me to think I've got cancer deal with it it's it's taking it could be taking over my body you know because I was just set on right well the operation is next you know it was relatively but, quick process. Well, a month from being diagnosed to having the operation. That's that, yeah, um, that's But still, lot. yeah. That it's can, an intense month, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it, but it, but it's, you know, it, it, we're, we're fortunate to be in, yeah. a, in a, an end in sight and to yeah. be able to know that. You're fortunate to have caught it so early and yeah. fortunate to be in a country where you can get healthcare yes, and yeah. fortunate to be someone For who free. gets, yeah. yeah, exactly, free healthcare mm. and fortunate to be someone who gets the right free healthcare because yeah. that is also, like you say, if, you had been someone else mm-hmm. with maybe a different relationship with with hospitals or yeah. with the health profession, healthcare yeah. professionals. Yeah. Probably, if you hadn't been, you know, like we both are a middle class person. Mm-hmm. When you go into that, you know that you can have a second yeah. opinion. You have yeah. the confidence to yeah, push definitely. and say. Yeah. Uh, so you, it, yeah. that's, it, it makes you think about the people who don't. You know, mm-hmm. the people who are oh, so yeah. Such a it's not a lottery, but it, no. but it, there is a lot of luck involved yeah. in the way these things yeah. go down yeah and to to know that that consultants aren't well we're very very happy to have the consultants you know but they're not gods you know yeah, you can say actually can I talk to someone else and it, that takes an awful lot yeah. you know I, I it took an awful lot for us to, to say can we 
and we did but someone else came in and they actually slightly contradicted the first person but at least then you go right but you're actually the one taking making the decision so yeah yeah we'll go with what you're saying but um yeah it does take a lot um but yeah completely we fear hospitals we fear you know people and i think well yeah totally but yeah, that we can ask. But then there are environments that kind of make you feel fear. Yes. And when you're in a hospital, it's so... Uh, and, and and other people's sickness as well mm. is something that we, I think, have a kind of instinctual mm. reaction to. And it's harder being the the visitor than the patient. Because the patient, you're you're dealing with it. You're either dealing with the pain, you're taking the drugs, or you're, you're there. But a person visiting... It feels helpless. You really can't do anything. You don't have the knowledge to be able to help, you know, the medical knowledge or anything. And you're just there, yeah, quite helpless. Like we were um, visiting Phil's dad because just we couldn't do anything apart from be there for him. And, and um, it's a really, yeah, you don't, you feel powerless, and that's a horrid, horrid feeling. Yeah, well, I mean, that's we are powerless, mm. aren't we? I mean, even, yeah. you know, it's it's like when my my dad had a a, a quadruple heart bypass mm. you know he survived that mm. but he might not have done. yeah and there's nothing that i could do no. to affect that no. there's actually nothing that he could really do at that no. stage to affect that that's really up to some other people mm. who may or may not be successful in what yeah. they're doing you know yeah. it's it's yeah. it's strange to relinquish control of yourself and yeah. your body and yeah, your definitely. Oh. yeah but I mean I guess it's having had these experiences again informs what you do kind of professionally as well mm. like that, that you're that this I mean it seems that your life has been very much kind of a mesh of uh, the the I can't remember the word for it. I was trying to think earlier on. The caring professions, let's say. Yeah. It's the, mm. kind of the public sector, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not just them. It's no. charity workers yeah. and people, yeah, you know, people yeah. who, who do things for, for for private companies that are doing good things. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a very judgmental way of saying it, and I'm sure there are lots of nice <laughs> private companies that yeah, don't I do know. good things. I know. Um, but... It does seem like you know you, you, your your parents kind of came yeah. like did that, yeah. and your life experiences sort of pushed you towards mm-hmm. that. And every job that you've done has been in that that yeah. sector. I yeah. mean, where where's the where, where's the future? Where's the future? Where, like your your speech and language therapy uh-huh. at the moment with children. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that something that you want to do for ever, or is it something that you want to work towards a new kind of? Um, yeah. Mesh? I mean, I am, yeah, I'm only at the beginning of my career. Yeah. I've been in the, my post, my first post for seven months. But um, <laughs> I would love to, I've been on what we call a special interest groups. This was for children with specific language impairments. So it's where it's just their language has been affected cognitively. They're absolutely fine and it's just their language. And um, we, we went on a course where um, we're working with a drama practitioner. So the drama practitioner has actually set up a project working with a speech therapist and um, doing narrative therapy, so doing, doing, working through stories, um, helping the children's language, but doing it through stories, being very, very creative. And yeah, I got such a buzz from that. I thought, wow, yes, because when children get a love of the language, then they're going to want to help work towards getting 
better communication themselves and they're gonna love doing it through songs doing it through um, mm. drama yeah and to to run workshops with a drama practitioner and, and as a speech and language therapist because I think you need those both professions because we both know our jobs very well and you know that's what we've been trained in to be able to work together rather than quite often in speech and language therapy you have to work via teaching assistants or other people because we just we haven't got time to see everybody but you know in my dream is to be working you know setting up groups and things and actually yeah so sort of speech and language drama therapy yeah so kind of come in full circle yes exactly interesting yeah that's it yeah that that would be a really interesting combination mm. i mean it's the problem is uh, the i think we all face in the in the public sector is mm. you know you can come up with really great schemes, mm-hmm. really great things that you could implement. Yeah. But it's it's managing to yeah. to implement them and yeah. and to keep the keep the funding for them and all it's of the these outcome things. measurements and it's proving all oh. the time that your work is useful and valid and you know I mean the thing about speech and language therapy is that it's not a quick fix and mm. it's it, I can't even call it a cure. You know you're helping children, adults, to, to work on strategies to help improve their communication. But it's, it can be a very, very slow process. And so you need that time. And I think there's definitely not enough investment in speech and language therapy because it's, it's a long-term goal. It's a long-term thing that we need to achieve. Whereas people on the front line, nurses and things, you know, they are there, they, they need to help obviously hugely important but you know it's it's obvious from the outside what work they do yeah whereas the work we do is preventative work you know if children have help right at the beginning before they even start school then they're far more likely to be able to catch up with their peers and if they're able to catch up with their peers then they don't end up having behavioral difficulties and you know as a result of not being able to communicate properly and um it can spiral into now the statistic is 60% of young offenders have speech and language problems right. which is huge so if you're not putting the work in at the beginning and the preventative work and you're not thinking put the investment there it's a long term investment then you you know you then won't have so many people ending yeah. up um, in young offenders institutions with these difficulties and so we are hugely important it's just not so obvious well yeah that's yeah that's really uh, that's a um, I, yeah, I thoroughly endorse that. <laughs> yeah. uh, state, those statements. I mean, it, it does seem to me that you know I'm I can be sceptical sometimes of uh, of of the definiteness of mm. these kind of things. Mm. Um, you know that that X is the way to do it or Y right. is the way to do it because yeah. I, I just I find that you know every case and this but this is an impossibility of it mm. in itself isn't it everybody's different mm. every case is different Definitely. but we, we, we don't live in a world where you you're allowed to find the right solution for each person you sort of have to try and kind of you, yeah, do, you have to try and follow yeah. some you know because you've got a questionnaire like mm. oh well I have sometimes a questionnaire where yeah. I've got to you know find out you know mark this cross this cross yeah. this box or whatever yeah. and but i think that that people's kind of frustrations with with things being generalized mm. does sometimes mean that that we don't see the value in 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 what people are doing out mm. there you know it's it's really and also i think people write off this stuff because it 
they don't they are not they're not educated about what actually is being done mm-hmm. so they hear you know speech and language therapy they, they say oh someone's coming in to teach us how to talk to our own children you know yeah. we have it when we have our um, initial assessment so the people come in and we haven't we've just got a very short brief referral this child has pronunciation difficulties or something mm-hmm. and it turns out to be an awful lot more than that but that's all the information <laughs> the health visitor for example or sometimes even the GP is you know that referral information and so then we take a very thorough case history which takes in yeah holistically you know we're talking about we want to know about the child's personality we want to know about how they are affected by or are they not affected at all has mm-hmm. it not is it not having an impact because if it has an impact then yeah, even if, say, the child's um, difficulty compared to other children's difficulties isn't that much, well, you know, isn't that serious, it may be to them, they may not want to even talk in front of anyone because they have just some sounds that they can't articulate properly. And then they get self-aware. So they become se- very yeah. self-aware. So you've got to really take that on board and think, right, how much is this having an impact on the child? How much is it having an impact on the carers and the parents? If the parents aren't understanding the child, that's very difficult. So it really is an issue if the parent hasn't oh, been yeah. able to tune in to that child's, if they've got really difficult speech difficulties, for but example. Then you get the, but then you get the, the reverse of that, where parents think that their children have got language difficulties and they just have normal child yeah. developmental processes yeah. like I, I come across that quite a lot uh-huh. of people being like you know he only says you know x amount of words you know like, yeah. they only should be saying yeah. x amount of words that age <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah and then yeah and it you know there's been research to, sh- to say that you know parents aren't aware of what you know where their child should be at at that at that age so then the yes there needs to be more information disseminated to say look you know a child at this age should be able to speak this amount of words should be able to understand this amount of words you know yeah it's very important well, just... I, I mean it's it's really hard like I, I i work with kids under five and i've done it for years mm. and i i uh, were surprised at, at what their levels were supposed to be or what they were because right. there's such a diversity of actual Definitely. of the way that they actually are. Yeah, it's so diverse. Yeah, so people are always worrying of, of yeah. when when actually there's a, there's a real range of acceptable mm-hmm. behaviours under five because yeah. they might be learning something else. You yeah. know, they're learning everything. Exactly. In those first five years, they're learning everything about what exactly. it is to be human. Sometimes they've got to take a little break on the language mm-hmm. and learn something else. But it's okay because they've got. Yeah. They've got the the amount they need to communicate yeah, at that stage. Exactly, and that is that is also you know part of when we're doing this case history. You know, we would find out what else do they really like doing? Oh, they're really sporty, or they're you know mm. really physical. Have they got any other siblings? Or if they've got older siblings who are very sporty, that's what they're you know in competition. They're going to want to match them and do what they're doing. Yeah. So the language kind of can get sort of pushed aside. And like you say, if they've got enough to keep going, then they'll just. Yeah, it'll, it won't be a priority for them. Um, so we've got to take all that into account, and also kind of thinking about the environment where they where they're brought up. You know, how much do the parents play with them? How much do they talk to them and, and expose them to language? Um, and be aware that children under five should only have say an hour of TV every day. But there are quite <laughs> some parents are quite surprised at that when I mention it. So um, yes, you can't learn language from TV. Well, I think there's there there's been some new there's been some alternative sort of studies ar- around how 
there may be some other things that people learn from TV, but at the same time, I, I, I it's not a communication. No. It is a presentation. Yeah. Um, people should yeah. most definitely know that. Like, you know, when you, you learn language by talking Imitation to someone. and, yeah, and Having them actually interact with you. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, and, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough one though, isn't it? Because, you know, parents have a hard, a lot of them have got their, you know, hard life around mm. them, especially often children with language difficulties yeah. that might mean that there's you know other problems at home as well mm. that they're, everyone's dealing with and, yeah. and uh, I, so it, it's a tricky one in that I totally think that TV is used far too much mm. as a, a babysitting device yeah. at the same time I can see why you know yeah. in a way we need to address as well as the language skills of those children we also need to address the lives of the parents that mean that they have to make these decisions yeah which is yeah which is why we've got to be realistic when we're setting programs together with a parent or carer and saying you know is it possible to set aside 10 minutes a day that's only we're only asking 10 minutes a day call it special time tv's off radio's off music's off just a time to just do this all the you know the kind of play we're talking about at the beginning this parent-child interaction following the child's lead and things that's just time for that child to really feel listened to and and, and they're enjoying the play with their parent or carer and it's it's a chance for the parent yeah. to, to, get to, to know listen to their more. child yeah, as well definitely. I mean, yeah. that's hard for both sides exactly I mean, and they pick, pick up on their non-verbal communication and, and you know how are they trying to communicate if they haven't got words how are they what gestures are they using you know how else are they communicating with you yeah and we're not saying don't ever don't put the child you know don't yeah, let the child watch telly we're just saying you know Maybe there there are more interactive programs like you know Mr Tumble, which yeah. is using the Macaton. It's I hear, brilliant. I hear a lot about yes, Mr Tumble do. in my job. But lots of children love it, and yeah. and it's brilliant that again, or if lots and lots of children learn Macaton signs, yeah. then the children who really need it are seeing it being used by everybody, and you know early years practitioners are using it, and that's yeah. So I wish I'm going on another Macaton course yeah. soon. I'm I'm really bad at remembering it. Yeah. Uh, I went on a course with singing hands from uh, Mr. Tumble. Okay. The, the thing about Macaton as well is interesting to me is that, you know, children develop the ability to understand uh, non-verbal mm. communication much, much quicker than verbal. And it supports, yeah, whilst they're, they're, yeah, they'll learn the non-verbal first and then as they're starting to acquire their, their language skills, it's a support. So then yeah. it's not saying... Oh, my child's then not going to be able to speak properly because they're using a macaton. It's a, it's the, it's not you know it's the opposite to that. It's supporting whatever they're saying. So if yeah. they can't say the speech sounds particularly well, or, or they you know really can't get the word order or something, if they're signing the key words, which is what macaton is, it's not like, you know, like the words have gone out of Macaton is a, 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 a very simplified version yeah. of sign language, exactly. which, yeah, is sign language which is designed to just pick out keywords yeah, exactly. for children. And you are always saying the word, which you wouldn't necessarily speak in English while you're doing British Sign Language. No, well. With Macaton, you're say, saying the words at the same time. And, um, yeah, and... I think it's There's often symbols as well, so yeah. you have signed symbol. Yeah, exactly, and you recognise the symbols. Yeah, and I think sometimes with Makaton, I learnt some of them when I you learn the, the stories behind it. So, say if you're doing biscuit, your hand is cupped and it's underneath your elbow, and you're whacking your elbow. Yeah, that's right. So that's so that's 
knocking Biscuit. it's <laughs> apparently it's from the old days where the sailors used to be on the ships and they got the biscuits and they'd knock the weevils out of the biscuits <laughs> so, <laughs> all the horrid things that got stored and then when you remember things like that somehow went for me it's like a hook and i think oh i remember it now because yeah though that's interesting it sticks we're, we're sort of at the rounding up sort of moment yeah. in the conversation yeah. Um, and the last question that I mm. ask people is, do you have anything that you want to plug? Which is a strange one. Yeah, plugging speech-language therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um, please shout about it. It's vitally important that more funding is put into it because, yeah, as I said, it's a, a long-term thing, but it's a long-term investment Yeah. Yeah, for well, children. I guess the most important thing for a individual within society to be able to do is to communicate. Yeah. Because if they can't do that, they yeah. can't have any agency in in the world. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Uh, and that's, I guess, what yeah. what, what speech and language therapy is trying to do. Yeah. Uh, and that well, it's really been a great pleasure getting better acquainted with well, you and catching up with you yeah. after all this time. Very long time. Yeah. Um, the last thing I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> so since we spoke, lots of things have happened. This is one of the ones that I recorded quite a long time ago. So I no longer have the job that I was talking about there. I lost that job. You can read about the end of that job and how, how it how it went why it went over on my blog it's the only blog i've written there so far uh you can find that dave pickering blog.blogspot and i'm now a freelancer so you can hire me to do various different kinds of freelance things to find out more about that go over to my website www.davepickeringstoryteller.co.uk so obviously lots of things have changed in my life and I believe lots of things have changed in Tamsin's life. Uh, I believe, in fact, there is another life within her life. And congratulations to her and her husband. If you would like to help me to finance my creative projects, please consider donating to the crowdfunding campaign that we're running to take stand-up tragedy up to Edinburgh. You can find out more about that at bit.ly forward slash tragic fringe and another good way of supporting us is to come along to the next london show we've got which is tragic misadventures which is on the 9th of july at the black heart in camden you can buy tickets for five pounds through our crowdfunding site